Welcome to another episode of Two Guys, One Topic. I'm Liam. And I'm Ollie. And for those of you that don't know, or for any new listeners, each episode we take a topic that we know very little about and we give ourselves just a week to read and research all about it. The idea is we do the hard work and then share what we feel is the most important pieces of information with you, the listeners. Uh, we say it every week, but we are absolutely not experts in anything that we talk about on this podcast. It's just a summary of our finding, of our of our research, like you said. Uh, but hopefully by sharing a little bit of knowledge with everybody, we can all learn just a little bit more about a whole lot of things. That sounds ideal. Let's get on with this week's topic, which is the Terracotta Army. Liam, this week, our topic is the Terracotta Army. Another one, a little bit random, a little bit out there, (laughs) but exactly what we do. So let's start like we always like to start as well and just tell everybody, what did you know about the Terracotta Army before getting into this week's reading and research? Um, A bunch of soldiers, they've all been buried, all the statues. Like you said, this is exactly what this podcast is. Something that you've probably heard of, but you don't really know anything about it. It's those, it's those statues that are buried in China. Um, <laughs> that's what I think. That's what I know. <laughs> I, I don't so, know. For some reason, I know that it's on my list of things that I'd like to go and see. It, it mm-hmm. sort of seems pretty impressive and sounds pretty impressive. Um, and I knew pretty much the same as you, I think, um, what you had just said there. And there's a lot of stuff that's really blown my mind with it this week. And what an interesting topic. Yeah, I, so I've actually been to Beijing. And uh, I think I'd have gone to see this if I'd have known yeah. that it was doable from Beijing. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, but yeah, so I know. Probably a regret, I guess, that I didn't go. But certainly something that I now know about. Definitely a reason for you to go back. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I need to go back. It's pretty cool, <laughs> to be fair. Would you Would you like me, um, just for um, Mandarin listeners, just to share how it's pronounced in Mandarin, just if they're they're not entirely sure what the Terracotta Army is? Hey, I'm all ears. Go for it. Bing Ma Yong. Oh, I nice. love it. If someone wants to correct me on that, you're more than welcome to. But yeah, so this week we're talking about the Bing Ma Yong. And it's uh, talking about the Terracotta Army. And super impressive, as we were saying, it is a bunch of clay soldiers that have been buried and they've been left in somebody's mausoleum, which was a word that I wasn't over familiar with. I don't know, did you <laughs> look into what a mausoleum was at all this week? No. <laughs> Isn't it like a grave? It's like yeah, a like a... It's like a fancy grave, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's those, the really big ones, like a tomb, almost like um, I think you, I don't know, might, mightn't you say the pyramids are a mausoleum? Isn't that like, don't they? Isn't that where like the pharaohs are buried and surrounded by the huge pyramid? And maybe the pyramids would be a topic we'll do in the future. But I think that's sort of a similar thing. It's yes. like a really elaborate show of power and strength and and wealth, um, instead of a, just a normal gravestone. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly what it is. So it's it's this huge burial chamber 
And the reason that it's huge, you'll find out when we get onto to some of the numbers about it, but it's this huge burial chamber that's in China near Xi'an, as you were saying about earlier. And it's basically a whole load of pottery soldiers that have been left there for the emperor at the time. And he sounded like a pretty incredible person, didn't he? Yeah. So I think it's worth pointing out that you know, nobody knew this was here, though, did they? This is um, the, the, the big deal here is that the thing that we're about to talk about was only discovered quite recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not like there was a gravestone saying, oh, just so you know, you know, uh, Qin Shi Huang, the emperor, we'll, we'll mention in just a sec, uh, is buried here. Underneath here is a giant mausoleum full of these, this terracotta army. Uh, it wasn't quite like that, um, which is one of the reasons why it was so important to have been found. But yeah. Yeah, the emperor, his name is Qin Shi Huang. He is known as the first emperor of China. And he's quite a big deal because he essentially, there were lots of areas in China that were all at war against each other. And he, I know it says he united them, but I'm not sure if he, if it wasn't more like he conquered them. <laughs> he sounded pretty ruthless, didn't he, to be fair? Yeah. Uh, and then, so he united, sort of united China as one. But I mean, he came into power when he was 13, didn't he? Yeah, incredible, in- incredible rise and getting into power and being this ruthless person and so dominant. And he was able to, as you say, unify China. He introduced a lot of standardization that was in place. And obviously, China's still an enormous country today, but he made things uniform, such as laws. He made the Chinese writing system standard units yep. of weight and measurement he made that they were the same throughout the country and yep. so he was, he was really instrumental we're trying to bring it all together and it was split up china at the time was split up into seven kingdoms it sounds a little bit like game of thrones and he, he wanted to be the one that ruled them all and that's exactly yep. what he did and um just you know this this was i realized when i actually said when this was he was born in two, uh, 259 bc so what's that like maybe 2,208 years ago or yeah. something like that? Yeah. Um, and uh, he also, you know, you said about the, the money and the standardization of weights and language and stuff like that. He did something else that was pretty big deal. I don't know if you've heard about this thing in China called the Great Wall of China. <laughs> Go on. Tell me about this thing. Well, this is in, we've done an episode about the wonders of the world and that being one of them. Uh, he actually started it. Yes. Yeah, he did. That's a, this was him, okay? Qin Shi Huang. He eventually, so like you said, he eventually united China, and he he named himself the first emperor, didn't he? Um, That's the right. emperor of China. And I've read somewhere, but I couldn't read it anywhere else, so I don't want to say this is definitely fact, but his name is Qin, and that is part of the reason that we call, uh, in the West, that we call the country China, like as as um, as homage to him. Yeah, then that makes sense. And just, just for people listening, so... It's not spelt C H I N. It's Q I N, isn't it? Yeah. As in, but it's pronounced Chin. Yeah. So, yeah. So this 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 guy is being responsible for a lot that's gone on in China at the time. He's then had this enormous terracotta army built, and the significance of it is unbelievable. It's it's considered to be like the eighth wonder of the world now. Like it's it seems to be such a, a fascinating discovery. And is it worth just saying, like, where it is? Uh, yeah, 
yeah, like you said, so it's in a, in a place called, it's just outside about 25 miles or so outside of the, I don't know if it's a city or a town, Xi'an, X-I-A-N, in, um, in China, which is sort of central in China, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, really central. Yeah, so this is there. Um, and he, uh, yeah, I mean, this is essentially where he is buried, where his mausoleum is. And he was, we, we should probably say, actually, we, we might, I'll say it, we might end up going a bit scattergun today. We're trying to nail down an order in which to describe all of this stuff, but it all feels like it all just is on top of each other. So apologies if we're a little bit less in a straight line as perhaps what we normally are. I think that's probably worth saying, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was, so he was the emperor and he was, he was, I think it's fair to say he was obsessed with immortality. Wasn't he? He was a. Uh, he was all about trying to live forever, and and what, what, how he could, and what would happen if he didn't, and if he died, what happens? And he he sent um not servants, what they'd be called. He, he sent people out to try and find out. Yeah, explorers, how, how, adventurers. Yeah, how can I live forever? You know, eventually it was. You know, you you're not going to live forever. Okay, well, if I die, what happens then? Uh, you know, how can I? Is there an afterlife? If there is an afterlife, can I can I rule the afterlife instead? Yes. Um. And sort of this is where this came out of. He actually died. Yeah, he, he died at 39, didn't he? But he'd been ingesting mercury tablets because he was told, you know, the stuff that's inside a thermometer that we're not supposed to touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was taking that to try and make himself live longer. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's some bad information from someone there, isn't it? The other thing about where is it, it's quite important. I think to say that there was some thought around where he decided to to then place it. So we've saying it's it's in Jan or near Jan, that's the nearest town. It's actually at the foot of somewhere called Mount Lee, and it's got a river to the south of it as well. And apparently, where where this mausoleum is, this burial chamber, it matches exactly what the Chinese Feng Shui says of where a burial site should be which okay. is pretty cool. So it's saying that you, sh- you should be buried uh, under a mountain and near a river, which will then bless you with offspring. So yeah, quite, quite interesting. Okay. So he's, he's in power and he's trying to consider what might happen after he dies because he now realizes he won't live forever. So he has a chat with some I don't know, experts, I guess. And then he comes up with this idea to create this terracotta army. So should we just say like, like what it actually is and, and why he did what why he thought about building it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that makes sense. So in a nutshell, it is this huge underground military formation of about eight thousand warriors? So yeah, he was then thinking that you know being able to look after himself in the afterlife, and if he had an army and anything were to kick off in the afterlife, and he gets buried yeah. there. And they would all then be there to protect him. So there's about 8,000 warriors that are in place. There are 100 chariots. There are 400 horses. And there were more than 100,000 weapons that have been unearthed around the burial site. But that's only so far because they think that there's more. And he, he even had other things made out of pottery there, didn't he, rather than just military things? Yeah, like chefs and acrobats and servants and musicians. Like, and, and, I think we've done a disservice. These are full size. These yep. are full size 
terracotta statues. Okay, so these are full size, like you said, horses, chariots. These are legit as big as they are in real life because the thought process was, uh, you know, any inanimate object that you might be buried with will come to life in the afterlife. So he said, right, well, then in that case, I want to be buried with an army. And originally, one of the plans was, and, and tradition around that time, was to bury yourself with your servants, like yes. your actual servants, and that they die with you. And so we, that- we, we know that that happened not just in China as well. So the Egyptians used to do it as well. It happened in Greece at the time. Yeah, there was very much this thinking that when the, the person in power dies, that their servants are taken with them to then serve them in the afterlife. Yeah, and he, which is strange because he was pretty ruthless. He actually like didn't like that idea. No. Um, so he was like, okay. Somebody said to him, "Well, whatever you're buried with will come to life." Right. Well, then build me an army. Do you reckon? So, do you reckon the person who managed to convince him not to kill all of his servants was his head servant? <laughs> do you think it? Just like, do you know what, Chin? I've been thinking about this. Maybe you shouldn't <laughs> kill all of us. Maybe you should just have some pottery uh, instead. Yeah. What do you reckon? So, so he, he, so he, he literally had an army built and that's, that's, so do you know, do you read this took 700, they, they estimate 700,000 people, which is that bearing in mind, the pyramids took about a hundred thousand people. Yeah. So it's like seven times as many people as they think built the pyramids yep. had to build him an army that he could then put next to him in full army formation. And then when he died, he's got him with him. And that that was important about that army formation because it then consisted of you know the cavalry, the infantry soldiers, your archers, the the charioteers who were there, and they were they were set out as if they were ready for battle. Yeah. So yeah. it was even like the military ranking of them as well. So their hairstyle was different depending on their military rank, and yeah. they all had weapons as well. But these these the weapons though, interestingly. They weren't pottery, were they? They were actual ready to no. go. Yeah. You said there there's maybe a hundred thousand weapons. They had legit weapons. So it wasn't like a like a statue of a guy with a sword. It was a statue of a guy with a real sword. Yeah. So that it went in when he comes to life in the afterlife, he's already got his sword. Yeah. And these are all buried underground, right? Let's not forget that like nobody could find these. They're all they're buried with him in like all standing up in a line. Um and they and they're all different, aren't they? This is a huge, huge deal as well. Like, like the complexity of this, all of these soldiers are, are have different faces. They yep. are all, they're not just on a production line. No, no, it's all, all unique, all, all unique looks to them, like their, their eyes, their ears, like their nose, their eyebrows, like it, all of it was individual to each of the, the soldiers that they had there. We'll put some pictures up for people to have a look at this on our Instagram as well and on twitter so go and find us on at two guys one topic you'll be able to see this that they they all look like pottery now they all look like terracotta right they're called the terracotta army but at the time when they were buried they are actually really bright and vibrant yeah. in different colors yeah, yeah, weren't yeah. they yeah vividly colored and it wasn't until until they were unearthed the sunlight hit them oxygen hit them and ba- the paint, the paint just almost peeled off, didn't it? Like almost, you know, like when you see like a vampire going to the sun, <laughs> it's a bit like that. You know, they unearth it. Oh look! And then one minute it's red, and the next minute it's now terracotta because all the red, the, the paint they've used has has flaked off. But yeah, so I mean, that's what it is. 
they don't really know. There's no real evidence to, to suggest because, like we're saying, you know, nobody knew it was there. But he, there were two thoughts about why he built it like that. One, as we were saying, he he was under the impression that he would come alive and he would be able to win the underworld. You know, he's got this army with him. Another one was that because he'd been so ruthless, he was worried that in the afterlife, everyone would come back at him. Yeah. All the people he'd killed. Yes. So he's like, well, if they're all going to come and get me. Uh, I'm going to need an army to protect me, not to attack anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> sort of double covering himself there, wasn't he? Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, that's what it is. Uh, yeah, pretty unbelievable. A couple of things of note to say about them, that there are no female soldiers amongst any of them. Yeah, yeah. That are in place. And also just saying that it was, you know, representation of what the army was like at the time. All of the soldiers are also facing east, which okay. is symbolic of how they would set up when they'd then be going into war as well. So yeah, there's it's not by chance. There was an awful lot of thought and an awful lot of consideration put into doing it, which is why we mentioned earlier about it being one of the eighth ones of the world and why this was such a significant discovery in the first place, because there was no writing about it. It was like it was unknown, wasn't it? It was un- unknown that this even existed until only a very short time ago. It was it was thought that anybody that did know about it were buried with him. I yeah. know we said about him not burying people alive, but uh, there was a, a guy. Let me just try and find my quote. Yeah, but he didn't he didn't bury them, did he? Like make that clear. So when it when it came to the end of oh, his yeah. reign, when it yeah, came yeah. to the end of his reign and there were the new rulers who then came into place, they wanted Chin to be forgotten about. So yeah. they then wanted to have it forgotten and anyone who had anything to do with it to be forgotten about as well. And so they unfortunately the people who who were part of it came to a, a pretty gruesome end of being then sealed into the chamber. Um, and forgotten yeah. about. Yeah, one of the one of the only real pieces of information that that, that exists about about the whole thing was about a hundred years afterwards, in about ninety four BC. There was a, a writer called Sima Chan who wrote about it, and um, he wrote a, a little bit about the the the, bury, the chamber itself and and what you were saying about the people being buried, basically. And he wrote this. After the burial had taken place, someone mentioned the fact that the workers and craftsmen who had constructed the mechanical devices would know about all of the buried treasures that were buried with him, and the importance of these treasures would immediately be disclosed. Consequently, when the great occasion was finished and after the treasures had been hidden away, the main entranceway to the tomb was shut off and the outer gate lowered, so that all the workers and craftsmen who had buried the treasures were shut in. There were none that came out again. Wow, that is gruesome, isn't it? Yeah, because so when he was, you know, he's buried in his own chamber and, you know, they've filled that full of treasures and, you know, like a bit like they do with Egypt, you know, in, in Egyptian times as well with the pharaohs. You know, he's in there with all of his treasures and such like, so they you know, didn't want it to be found. But it was found. And I think that's probably the most logical next thing to do. It was eventually found, even though it was not written about anywhere. So it, when it was found, the discovery of it was a complete surprise. So... There was no historical records that we said about it. There was no mention of this enormous underground army. And they'd they'd been sat there untouched underground for over 2,200 years. So it was a real mystery. No one knew about this important um, tomb or burial site. And what happened was there were these nine local peasants 
uh, as it said, so nine local farmers who they were trying to dig a well to try and get some more water. And this was in 1974. And accidentally, they stumbled across it, didn't they? Yeah, that's basically it. I, I, I couldn't believe it was 1974. I know. So this, is, this is widely... I don't know what's the I don't know what the word is. Claimed? Widely said said to be the greatest archaeological find of the 20th century, like probably by absolutely miles. But yeah, 1974. That's not even 50 years, like 49 years ago. Yeah, and they're digging this well, and they stump. They basically stumble across one of the terracotta warriors. They were buried. How deep were they? It's about 35 meters deep, about 110 yeah. or 120 feet, something like that. So I mean, that's quite. A, so that you know, he's. He set up his burial chamber. He set up all these soldiers in position and then buried it with like 30 something meters of, of mud on top to create this huge hill. Yep. And yeah. And yeah, they, and they've stumbled across it. They stumbled across some of the weapons. And I mean, to begin with, they thought it was a, they think it was a god of pottery or the pottery god. And that's that, it. They, they, they didn't touch it. Yeah. So the, the, the local people, they, they found this head effectively. I presume so. And then reading around it, when they then buried down, they'd broken the head off one of them. Yeah. And so they then pulled out the head and they realized what it, you know, it was, it was a pottery head. And they thought, oh my word, this must be the God of pottery that we've got here. Like <laughs> loads of them were too scared to touch it or go anywhere near it. Um, and it was, it was led by so the person who's the leader of these farms at the time was called Yang Zifa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what they then did is they, they thought they'd discovered something important and they thought that there could be some, you know, some bronze relics. There could be some, you know, important maybe uh, pottery or metal around there. And they, they did think though, we should probably notify somebody that we found this. And so that's what yeah. they did. Yeah. And then a local journalist wrote to the government who eventually sent in some archaeologists and then the government established an excavation team on the 15th of July, 1974, uh, led by the... So they found it, but they didn't know what it was. So, I mean, uh, they're credited with finding it, but the importance of it and recognising its importance is generally credited with a archaeologist called Zhao Kangmin, who has since died. But yeah, this Zhao Kangmin was a curator at Lintong Museum and was deemed as the first real person to recognize the terracotta warriors as as like a as a significant their significance i guess yeah i think you were saying to me earlier on in the week that it must have been pretty incredible to be part of that discovery or certainly for Zhao Kangmin the the yeah. archaeologist to be part of it actually hearing what was going on then going there and thinking, oh, let's maybe dig a little bit deeper and let's see what we unearth. And then actually finding this absolutely spectacular preserved army underground. It must have been absolutely mind-blowing, mustn't it? Well, I mean, do you find one? <laughs> and then you're like, whoa, look at this, it's a soldier. And then like, what makes them carry on going? Because the pit, right, 8,000 of them, like yeah. they're stood in, and we'll talk about it shortly, they're known as pits, but they're stood in basically a giant rectangle, like you've ever seen a bunch of soldiers line up for a war, aren't they? Like, yep. what, whatever, like 20 wide and 200 deep or some stupid numbers like that. Yep. Like, how do you know to just keep going? Who thought, oh, there might be one next to it? Actually, yeah. there's one next to that as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's it's over an enormous area, isn't it, that we're talking? 
It's, yes. Yeah. Like, the, the 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 biggest the biggest of the the pits. So they they basically what they've ended up discovering is there are sort of three groupings of soldiers um, all around this central mausoleum where Chin Shen Huang is buried. There's three pits. The biggest one, Pit One, is about 230 meters long and then 62 meters wide, which has got six thousand warriors, six thousand of the terracotta warriors in. Yeah. Um, and then there's another pit, which is pit two, 124 meters by about 98 meters um, with about 1300 in. And then pit three doesn't have many in it. But interestingly, the soldiers that are in pit three are considered to be like the most important ones. So yes. I think that might be like the, uh, you know, imagine in war, they'd be like the organizing lot. They'd be the, the ones generals, in charge. The generals yeah, yeah. who are like with the strategy and what have you. Yeah, off on their own. And then the soldiers are all lined up, ready to go. Yeah, it's, I don't, we haven't actually said this, right? They're terracotta. That means they're made out of like a clay and then fired in an oven yeah. and cooked. Not like, because there was a rumor that they've been, um, I read somewhere that they might have been influenced by the Greeks and all the statues they make. Greek statues are made of marble and like chiseled, you know, yes. like, oh, you know, whatever. And then until you're left with the marble, the, the lovely statue. These are not, they've, they've been made out of clay and chuck it in an oven and then cooked. So that's com- a completely different process. Yeah, just yeah, com- completely. Slightly di- digress there, just slightly, but I thought we should probably say that. And then there is a fourth room that's empty, isn't there? Yeah. Which So they're, they're wondering whether it was unfinished or whether it was deliberately left as an empty space. They're not, okay. They're, they're not, not entirely sure that, that what happened with that one. So there, there is a fourth pit. But we're talking about these, these pits that they've got, and then there is the actual tomb itself. And so yeah. there's there's the tomb where where Chin would have been buried, but that hasn't actually been opened. It's not excavated or gone into at all, has it? No, 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 no. Um, yeah, they're a bit reluctant, I think, to go into his actual tomb. Um, I was reading a, a piece by an archaeologist saying that when they went into Tutankhamun's tomb in in like the the pyramids, they did that in the 30s, in okay. the 1930s, and obviously. We, we've had technological advances since then. And they were saying, imagine if we'd gone in now, like 100 years later, what we might have saved. And we were saying earlier about how all of the paint, for example, the paint fleck, flecks off, flakes off as yes. soon as it gets touched by the sunlight or oxygen. So they're a bit worried about going into the main tomb for fear of basically, essentially that. Like, like what if we break what's inside there or damage it just by opening the door, for example? Exactly. The other reason why it's not been opened yet is their concern that it's properly booby trapped? Yeah, yeah. This guy, this writer I was saying earlier, Sima Chin, uh, Sima Chan, uh, uh, wrote something similar about there being crossbows and traps in there and rivers of mercury. Because, yes. like we were saying earlier, mercury was considered to be something that helps you live forever. So apparently, there's a rivers of mercury. Now, we obviously we don't know if this quote has got any basis on reality, but they have done. Scientists have managed to. Uh, I don't know what you say, like scan the ground or test the soil. Yeah. And it has massively high mercury content. Does so it? They think actually maybe maybe we shouldn't go in. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not good for humans. And they're worried about, you know, like it might explode, for example, some sort of chemical reaction. They don't know what's in there. And, uh, you know, they know it's probably full of gold and jewels and treasure and stuff. But, but that's what they're no thinking. There is some speculation that they think that the two might have been robbed 
before it was then before the people then shut inside it as well. So they they really have no idea what there might be in there. Part of my cynical side thinks that it sounds like another thing for the tourism board to then open up so that then anyone who's previously been needs to go back and actually see the tomb now. Yeah. <laughs> Get people yeah, going but, along to it. But like the enormity and the scale of all of the rest of it must make you think that the real thing is going to be better. Yeah. You yeah. I mean, if he's, if he's built like, like a whole army, a whole army out of terracotta, full yeah. life-size with weapons, horses, carriages, everything, what's the real thing going to have in it? Oh, completely. And I know you said earlier, 700,000 people to build it and it being nearly 40 years for it to be completed is yeah is pretty mad one of the the things around the discovery that we were saying so you've you've got the the farmers who discovered it and then you've got the the archaeologist who then put two and two together and is attributed with also finding it if you like like credited yeah. with with what happened there's some thought or some trains of thought that actually it wasn't discovered in 1974 it was actually discovered in 1932 Okay. In the next village along, where people again were digging, they found some pottery and mistook them for pottery gods again, took them to a local uh, temple and started wor- worshipping them. Oh, wow. So it could be that it, you know, the potential of it could have been found, you know, a good 40 years earlier. But again, the people who were digging, the farmers at the time, maybe didn't know what it was that they had found. And so the actual terracotta that we now know today, um, yeah. you know, took took a little bit longer to be found. They're a long way underground, though. We were saying they're 35 metres underground. Yeah. That's a long way. Like, unless they were digging a well, it's very unlikely anyone would ever find it because it's in the middle of, well, you know, it's not anywhere that anyone's going to build any buildings. They're just lucky someone dug a well because, you, know, <laughs> you know, would it have ever been found? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. There's a curse though. Do you, they think it's cursed? Do you read this? The people that have, have found it, they claim to have been cursed. So, like you were saying, these nine or so farmers claim it to be cursed. They're, you know, basically they found this, and their whole village has been taken over, hasn't it? Tourism's like taken over. The government have of swung swung in and gone right. We're digging this out. Yeah, their village is gone. Their homes are gone. Their farming fields have all gone. Uh, and you know, they they claim that you know their life is completely changed because of yes. it, like for the worse and then what what's then happened with it becoming a, an ultra tourist destination to go to is that those nine farmers that we were talking about they their job then changed to them being sat in the gift shop and they would yeah. sign books or sign you know pamphlets just yeah. be sat there all day just signing their name saying that they were part of the original excavation um of the that was their claim to fame. And apparently they weren't paid very much. Apparently they were paid £2 a month to, to be doing this. Uh, and it wasn't a great existence for them. They're not all alive, are they? Um, no. some, of them, um, some of them, I think you told me actually, some, sometimes there's rumours that they, they put somebody else in yes. the gift shop and they yes. just say, get them to say that you are this person. And then, <laughs> I mean, who am I to know? <laughs> they just put a suitably old person, just put a 70-year-old person to be sat there signing stuff. Yeah, uh, that's pretty grim. Um, <laughs> but if you wanted to actually go and see it, if you want to go and get a pamphlet signed by someone who may or may not have 
been partly responsible for finding them, Liam. So if you wanted yeah. to get there, how would you go about getting there? So you can get, well, first of all, Jeanne now has actual direct flights from quite a lot of places. So you could fly there direct, for example, if you were going to go towards China. Um, I was actually in Beijing when I went and it turns out I could have got a flight. You can fly there. Um, if you get a flight around, there's a, about a 7.30 in the morning flight. You get to Jeanne about 10 o'clock. You spend three hours in the, with the Terracotta Army between about 11 and 2. Have a bit of lunch and then you fly back to Beijing in the evening. Um, you, you can do it in a day, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I'd want to do that, but it is an internal flight. So maybe it's a bit easier, like security and visas and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Um, you can overnight train it if you wanted to. You can get there from Shanghai as well. Um, but I mean, it's, it's perfectly doable. It costs, tickets for entrance cost about £15 English pounds. So uh, like $20 maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you, but you can. I read they let sixty-five thousand entrance tickets are issued every day. It's sixty-five thousand. Yeah, it's um, it's such a popular tour, tourist destination, not by foreigners, but also by by Chinese people as well. And it gets very, very busy. So it was saying to avoid going in Chinese holidays or at weekends if you can, because it is such a popular destination of people wanting to go and seeing where. I know it's a little bit self-proclaimed, but where this first emperor, where his burial chamber is. Yeah, it's essentially like a big gantry, isn't there, around the top? So because they're they're basically, you know, you look down on them and they've set up sort of this huge, it's all undercover. Uh, you walk around the top, around some almost like some scaffolding and look down on it all, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You can, you can, um, they do, the Chinese government, you know, as a promotional thing, they do send some of the terracotta arm, um, some of the terracotta warriors to other museums around the world. Yes, so you they can. Do. Sometimes there are exhibits where you can go and see some of them. And that actually brings me on to my little takeaway story. Do you want me to just tell you my story quick? Go on then, what's your two guys, one topic takeaway? Just a little story quick, and it leads into the valuation of them. Um, that, that they, let, they lent 10 of them to a museum in America. And then one of the thumbs of one of the warriors got snapped off by a, a tourist, a guy. Oh, no. And the, the Chinese government were then like to the American government, you need to prosecute this guy. He needs to go to jail. That is the worst thing that could possibly ever happen. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the guy claimed that I was young. It was just some foolish vandalism. And they said, well, these terracotta warriors, they are $5 million each. Wow. And, you know, you, you have not find him enough. So, you know, and this is just one of the warriors. And, you know, so if there's 8,000 of them, you know, that's that's in the tens of billions of dollars. Well, I mean, there can't really be a value on it, can there? Well, that's, that's a funny thing. Yeah, valuation is what someone's willing to pay for it. Um, but they're not for sale, are they? But I suppose what from insurance purposes or something? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't, yeah, I don't know. So like, like we we're saying about the Mona Lisa, which I actually saw this week, by the way, went oh, there yeah. myself into the Louvre. Yeah, it doesn't have an insurance value of like a billion dollars or something by now. Yeah. Like I don't know. I don't know. Is it, but anyway, yeah. Um, my takeaway is just just how expensive they are, about five million dollars each. It, and and that's what the Chinese government said. So I mean, that must be pretty close to what it really is worth. Um, but that's just one of the warriors. That's not a chariot with all yeah. the horses and and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, good point. So. Little side note, completely off topic here. But when you're at the Louvre, did you start telling people about the Mona Lisa, knowing that we've done a topic on it? No, that... no but I did tell my wife. And actually, I heard a tour guide behind me saying the story about how she became famous. Because when she got stolen, that was like 
when they started like newspapers and stuff. And basically she just got famous because she yep. was like a, a story. Anyway, listen to our episode all about famous paintings and our interval view with Valdemar. Yeah. Uh, which is really good. Back in um, series one that, um, yeah, yeah, where we talk about the Mona Lisa. Have you got a takeaway? Yeah. So my, my two guys want to be takeaway this week is more about the figures themselves in particular. So we've already said, you know, it's incredible that all these diverse facial features, that they're unique, which means there's like 8,000 different faces in total and 8,000 individual soldiers there, which is, you know, incredible. And, you know, what a feat back then, 2,200 years ago for them to be doing this. You know, it's mind-blowing. But one of the things that I found interesting is that the warriors, they stand between about 1.8 and 1.9 metres high, with this tallest one being about two metres tall. Yeah. So the average height is about 1.85, which is a lot taller than modern Chinese people. So I was just wondering, like, were people taller at the time? And there is, yeah. some, there is some skeleton evidence to show that ancient Chinese people might actually have been taller than modern Chinese people. Or the more likely outcome is maybe just trying to make the army look even more fearsome and dominating by having them modelled to look about 1.85 metres tall. If I knew that whatever I took with me was going to come alive in the afterlife, why didn't he just make like a 50-foot lion? <laughs> or a dragon. Or, like, or a dragon, yeah. Or or a person that is 25 feet tall with ginormous muscles and like <laughs> 75 swords. Like, if you could build anything, just, just make it absolutely nuts. <laughs> but yeah, that's a really good point. So yeah, so my, my one is just around, you know, how incredible that you've got all these different soldiers. They are unique and actually they're bigger than what, uh, and taller and maybe more, they're taller and more like designed to look more scary than what modern people are now. Yeah. All right. Well, what a cool episode. What a nice little, little nugget of information. I think, um, you know, we're going to have some people actually end up going there and, and knowing this now, which is cool. If anyone's actually been, please let us know. I'd love to hear like your thoughts on it. And if Liam and I need to be making a stop there uh, next time we're yeah. anywhere near China, it sounds incredible, but I'd love to hear firsthand from some people if you have actually been there. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising. Like, like he's basically built them because he thinks they're going to come alive in the afterlife. That's essentially in a nutshell. He's basically built himself an army so that when he dies, the army comes to life with him because they've been buried with him. And then he's got the army to protect himself or take over the afterlife. So that's essentially what it is. Yeah. Um, but they're all different. That they're literally all different is unbelievable. Uh, but yeah, what a cool week. Amazing. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Let us know your thoughts. Get in touch with us at Two Guys One Topic. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, it's always great hearing from anybody who just wants to share their thoughts on the pod. We really, really appreciate it. We'll be back with you next Tuesday with a new episode. But until then, get out there and share some terracotta army knowledge.